A family stalked, a father killed, and an innocent man jailed. What connects all of these? A strange case known as the Circleville Letters, today on Out of the Shadows. Hello everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Out of the Shadows. Today, I want to talk about one of my favorite true crime cases, and one that has still not been solved to this day. That being the Circleville Letters. It all starts in 1976, in the small town of Circleville, Ohio, roughly half an hour from Columbus, Ohio. So in Circleville, in 1976, people start getting strange letters. They don't know who they're from, all they know is that they're marked as being sent from Columbus, Ohio. Mary Gillespie is a school bus driver in Circleville, and she receives a letter saying she needs to stop having an affair with the superintendent of the school. The thing is, she claims that she was never having an affair with the superintendent of the school. Uh, She receives a few letters, and she keeps them to herself, until her husband, Ron, receives one. Uh, The letter that Ron received stated that he needed to stop his wife, or his life would be in danger. Now, she explained it to Ron. She said, you know, I'm not having an affair. But they didn't really know what was happening. Uh, Two weeks after Ron received his first letter, uh, the writer threatened to go public. He said he would put things on CB radio, hijack TV, you know, pay for billboards. Uh, Mary and Ron only told three people about this. But they, they didn't really know what to do. Mary had some ideas... She wasn't really sure about anything. So the three people they decided to tell were Ron's sister, her husband Paul, and Paul's sister. Uh, They decided to have Paul write some letters to the suspect, claiming to know who he or she was. And initially it seemed like it worked. The letters quit coming for a while. But it wouldn't really be true crime if it ended there. On August 19, 1977, Ron received a phone call from the alleged writer. The call seemed to confirm Ron's suspicions on who the caller was, but he didn't tell Mary. He angrily left, grabbed his gun, and got in his pickup truck, even though the writer claimed to be watching their house. Sadly, several minutes later, Ron was found dead in his truck. Ron had crashed his truck into a tree and died that night. When they found him, they investigated his gun and found that he had fired at least one round. It's not known what at, though. Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe claimed at first that the death was foul play, but later went back on this statement and claimed that it was an accident, saying that Ron was drunk and had lost control. A blood alcohol test showed that Ron's BAC was .16, twice over the legal limit that one should be driving at. Uh, The family disputed this, however, because they claimed Ron was not a drinker. Even though he had stress and plenty of things to drink for, it just wasn't him. But regardless, he had died that night, fired a shot, and nobody knew why or who he had shot at. Sheriff Radcliffe did claim to interview at least one suspect over Ron's death, but also claimed that that suspect passed a polygraph test, 
and would therefore be considered innocent. The name of this suspect was not released. After Ron's death, the letter writer stopped, almost entirely. Besides a few more small letters not sent to Mary, including one claiming that Sheriff Radcliffe had covered up Ron's true cause of death, everything seemed to die down and maybe even go back to normal. Until February of 1983, when Mary started getting harassed along her morning bus route. It appeared that the writer had began to place threatening signs along the road. These signs threatened Mary to stop her affair with the superintendent or that she would die. Eventually, she became tired of these signs, pulled over, and attempted to rip one down. When she did this, she discovered a gun trap designed to shoot her if she pulled down the sign in the correct way. She narrowly survived this, as if she had been standing in just a slightly different position, she would have been shot and most likely have died. So, Mary calls the police, and they take this gun trap, and they, you know, they investigate it, they take it apart, they look at it, and they find that somebody tried to scratch the serial numbers off the gun, but they hadn't done very well, so they were still very visible. Uh, you know, not much of an attempt to hide them, but almost like they wanted to make it seem like they were hiding them. Um, and the gun actually belonged to Paul, who had just recently separated from Ron's sister. So this gun is Paul's, so they bring him down to the station, they interrogate him. He claims that the gun was stolen from him several weeks ago, though he didn't make an attempt to report it, which you're supposed to do with stolen guns, because if they can be traced back to you, you could be convicted of a crime, even if you didn't commit it. So they also have him take a handwriting test. They have Paul copy down the letters while reading them aloud, and this is all in a room with only him and Sheriff Radcliffe. So Paul's gun is the one that almost killed Mary Gillespie, so this puts him in the hot seat. The handwriting test also shows that it is very likely that Paul wrote the letters. So on October 24th, 1983, he's gone to trial for the attempted murder of Mary Gillespie. Although he's never charged with writing the threatening letters, they do become a crucial part of the evidence against him. Mary testified that she believed he was the writer because his wife visited her and told her that she suspected it as well. Paul's boss also testified that Paul was not at work the day the booby trap was found. Paul had an alibi for most of the day, but he never took the stand in his defense. He only claimed his innocence, and this led to him being convicted and given a 7-24 to 24 year sentence. Despite the surprisingly low amount of information that can be found about this case, there are a few things that don't add up. One, Paul never took the stand to defend himself. All he ever did was claim innocence, even though he had an alibi for most of the day. Another thing is that Mary only assumed that Paul did it because Paul's wife, who he was in the process of leaving, said that she believed he may have been the letter writer. So, Paul is convicted of the attempted murder of Mary Gillespie and sent to jail. You would think that it would all end here, but it doesn't. Paul was either not the writer of the letters or not the only writer of the letters because even after Paul's imprisonment, 
more letters are sent to numerous people, including Mary and even Paul himself, while in jail. Now, Paul was in solitary confinement, meaning he had no way to write these letters and send them to people. He especially didn't have a way to write these letters and send them back to himself. In December of 1990, Paul actually comes up for parole. The problem is, with the letters still being sent, the parole board is uncertain about letting him back out into society. So he's actually denied parole, despite the fact that there was no way he could be writing the letters himself. Four years later, in 1994, Paul once again comes up for parole. It is granted this time, and continued to maintain his innocence until his death in 2012 at age 70. Strangely, the letters also stopped in 1994. Unfortunately, the writer was yet to be revealed. While the writer of the letters is yet to be found, there is one more interesting piece of knowledge regarding this case. When Unsolved Mysteries was filming a story about the Circleville letters incident, they actually received a postcard, supposedly from the letter writer himself. It reads as follows, Forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you L sickos will pay. The Circleville Writer. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Alienware. Alienware, more gaming for less money. Alienware's desktops and laptops are some of the best pre-built gaming machines that you can get on the market today. If you use my special code, N-O-T-R-E-A-L, on Alienware.com, you can get 15% off your next purchase. Again, that's N-O-T-R-E-A-L in the code area at checkout. Thank you. There is much speculation on who the writer actually was, and it's something that hasn't been confirmed to this day. There was one suspect, known as David Longberry, who was a co-worker with Mary. One night, he came on to Mary in an aggressive way, and she rejected him. Mary later mentioned this to Ron before he died, saying that it was possible that David Longberry himself was the writer. There were also theories claiming that it could have been Karen Freshour, Paul's now ex-wife. This is because she wanted to frame Paul and take the kids and the house, which is what Paul got in their divorce. One last thing of note. Many suspect that Radcliffe actually wanted Paul behind bars because Paul was a thorn in his side. It is suspected that Radcliffe wanted to reduce crime in his town, whether literally or just on the numbers, so that he would be promoted in a better sheriff's position. I want to leave you with one last thing, and this is dialogue between Paul's lawyer and Radcliffe talking about the handwriting samples, which were obtained through a way that is generally considered a bad way to get handwriting samples as Radcliffe showed Paul the letters first and told him to attempt to copy them. Paul's lawyer. 
And did you explain to the handwriting analyst how you obtained these samples? Radcliffe, yes, I did. Lawyer, and did he indicate which part of these he would actually use in his analysis? Radcliffe, the ones we dictated were the ones that would be used in comparison, not the ones he copied. This report Radcliffe gave is somewhat unreliable, and it is most likely that he knew this, being that he was a sheriff. The proper way to conduct the handwriting tests would have been to have Paul not see the letters and dictate them to Paul to write first, so that Paul would not be influenced by its handwriting. Regardless of whether Paul's child was mismanaged or not, the Circleville letter writer continued to walk free. I think that's all the time we have for today. I appreciate that you listened to this podcast. As always, this is Out of the Shadows with Sean McClure. This podcast was written, voiced, and directed by Sean Patrick McClure. All credit for the music goes to Anchor Podcasts.